And I've always envisioned sweet green, you know, with this concept that we call like the Spotify of food. How can sweet green personalize and create relevance to each consumer based off of their taste, their health, their goals, etc.? Welcome to the Five Year Frontier podcast, a preview of the future through the eyes of the innovators shaping our world. Through short, insight packed interviews, I seek to bring you a glimpse of what a key industry could look like five years out. I'm your host, Daniel Darling, a venture capitalist at Focal, where I spend my days with founders at the very start of their journey to transform an industry. The best have a distinct vision of what's to come, a guiding North Star they're building towards, and that is what I'm here to share with you. In today's episode, we're talking the future of food and its role in making our communities healthier. In it, we cover topics including robotic food production, building a restaurant OS, drone delivery, and scaling both the passion and health benefits around eating healthily. Guiding us will be Johnny Neiman, co-founder and CEO of Sweetgreen, a delicious and much-loved chain of salad restaurants. He and his buddies started Sweetgreen in college and have grown it to over 200 locations, generating half a billion in annual revenue and taking it public on the New York Stock Exchange in 2021. Sweetgreen has built a reputation of being ahead of the technology adoption curve, developing much of it in-house and before the rest of the industry, all while staying authentic to its mission of scaling healthy eating and earning a loyal customer following. So Johnny, welcome. It's so nice to have you on and you're on a mission to help communities eat healthier. What did you see in the fast food model that would help you achieve that goal? And what did you have to innovate on in those early days? Go back, it's 2007. The iPhone had not even come out yet. Um, at the same time, Chipotle had just gone public, you know, a, couple, a year or so earlier. And there's this thing called fast casual in the US taking off, which was a kind of fast food that was a little bit elevated. It was the convenience of fast food, the higher quality of food. And we looked at the world and it was this time where I'm an call it an elder millennial. And I saw the generation, my generation, kind of refusing the fast food of the generation before us. I looked around and I said, you know, we, our greatest export, McDonald's, Coca-Cola from a food perspective. And this food was really making us sick. At the same time, you had these very alarming things going on in the health of people in the United States um, and really across the world. In the, in the U.S. today, you have about 40% of people obese, 20% of children are obese. And they say 40 to 50% of children are diabetic or pre-diabetic. One in three Americans eat fast food every single day. 97% of our food subsidies go to like corn and soy and these things that are just not good for us. And the guidelines around child nutrition are just terrible. And food access is a whole nother thing of even if you wanted to eat healthy in so many places, you can't even do it. So there's just like this massive problem around food and the cost to our health, the cost to our economy, the cost to our environment. Um, Rockefeller just came out with a study uh, about a year or two ago where they estimated the cost of our food system, the negative implications that we already captured is about $2 trillion, $2 trillion, a trillion on the economy, a trillion on our health. And then the last that I'll say on this is, you know, this is, this is the one that caught my eye in 2007. It was that 40 or 50 years ago, as a country used to spend twice as much on a per capita basis on food as we did on healthcare. Today, we spend twice as much on healthcare as we do on food. We're spending more and more on healthcare 
and less and less on food on a, on a per capita basis, that's clearly not working. So like the whole thing for us is, is that our healthcare system isn't working and can we create a fast food company that in some ways is a Trojan horse for in a lot of ways for as a healthcare company because it's the food that was making us sick. And then it was, can we do it in a way, everything I'm saying so far probably doesn't make you want to eat at my restaurant, right? It's, you know, you don't want to eat at a restaurant that sounds like a healthcare restaurant. So the idea was, how do you take that idea and then make it delicious and make it cool and make it fun and make it innovative and not not make it about the health, but make it about the lifestyle. And so that was really kind of the idea and how the idea was born. It was take everything we love about Nike, you know, and the best brands in the world, even McDonald's, an incredible marketer, but take what they're great at and make the food that is still good for you and good for the environment. And that's kind of where the idea of Sweetgreen was born. I love that. And to further that mission, you made the deliberate choice for technology to play a central role at Sweetgreen, from internal operations with your Sweetgreen operating system to pioneering mobile ordering. Where does technology continue to have its biggest impact for you? Technology has been a, a critical part of our vision from the beginning. And really the way we see it, you know, people used to ask us, and there used to be funny headlines, is Sweetgreen a technology company? Absolutely not. We are not a technology company. We are a food company, a restaurant company, and a brand. That is what consumers love about us. That is who we are and what, you know, what the true value proposition is. However, have we had to act like a technology company in order to enable the experience that we want? Absolutely. Do we have a large engineering team and a technology mindset? How do we use technology to deliver the sweet green experience in a better way? either for the customer, the team member, or for our overall uh, unit economics, absolutely. And so very beginning in 2007, it started with like the birth of social media around that time and how we leveraged social media to build a brand. In 2009, you know, the, like I said, the iPhone came out right, pretty much right when Sweetgreen opened our first uh, restaurant. It's pretty much exactly when the iPhone came out. The biggest problem in our business was that we had these huge lines. And you lived and died by your lunch line. You all practically had unlimited demand in this very short period of time, right? So it was how can you change that model and feed more people in a short period of time? And we're like, oh, well, let's use the phone. Let's build an app where you order on the phone. We build a second kitchen in the back. You wear a second make line in the back where you make the food on there and then we'll put a shelf. This, of course, today sounds just total commonplace. Everywhere does it. You know, it's almost become the standard. But in 2009, we were the first to do it. We were the first to build the app, the secondary make line, and put these kind of like frictionless shelves. Um, so that was, you know, kind of the beginning of the technology journey. And I think what's one of the things that has made us successful in that journey has been a very first principle approach to how we marry the technology and the physical space. Now, I think what a lot of companies do is they'll take what they have and they'll try to layer technology on top of it. In my industry, what that usually meant was, oh, we have a restaurant. How do we take online orders in the flow of an existing restaurant? Well, the reality is it doesn't work. The only way to do it properly is to be super intentional from the beginning and say, okay, if I have a business that has a delivery business, a pickup business, et cetera, how would I design a kitchen and a restaurant experience around that where the technology is integrated into the experience in a really thoughtful way? So that was always been like the guiding light for how we marry tech, the physical and digital. There's been a number of in, you know things that we've built over the past decade or so 
that have enabled our growth. You know, as an example, uh, one of the things that Sweetgreen does that is different than the industry is we don't have any commissaries. We source from hundreds of local, you know, kind of regional, uh, small, medium uh, farms across the country, incredible sustainable partners, and we get the food directly in our restaurants and we make the food from scratch. So, you know, instead of having it kind of like pre-packaged and processed in a center and shipped out, it's shipped to the stores and our teams have to do everything. In order to do that, there's a very heavy cognitive load for team members to remember how to do so many things. So one of the things we did in, in order to kind of make it easier for them is we built what we call a, a sweet green OS, an operating system for running our restaurant. This includes a few things. It includes a cold prep app, a hot prep app, and a sweet green pacer tool. It's almost like a mission control for the restaurant where instead of guessing what's going to be my revenue today, how much food do I need to order? How much do I need to prep at what time? Think about it as like a GPS for the kitchen, right? So it, it guides our teams on exactly how to run the restaurant so we can provide the freshness and the quality of food we expect at scale and at the, in the speed we are going and keep that consistency without having to sacrifice the food and build a commissary and that sort of thing. The Sweet Green OS is a really interesting platform to have internally and a capability that allow you and continue to allow you to run more experiments and be more dynamic and sort of test things, shut them down, ramp those that work. It gives us really good data on how we're operating. It helps create a lot of consistency. And there's different parts of the OS. Like one of one of the pieces, for example, is a pacer tool. So it helps us keep run on time. It's almost like a gamified like iPad screen where it shows like you have this here's your pace, here's how fast you're running, it's green, you're on you're on time based off how many orders are coming in. Whoa, huge order came in. You only have two people on the line, you're gonna be behind, screen goes red, you know to go get you know, someone else come to help you. So there's all these like little examples, but you know, we've also failed a lot in trying to use technology in certain ways. For example, one of the things we tried to do for a long time is one of the things we've really been focused on is accuracy. How do you make sure every bowl is right? And there's, you know, there's a lot of customization at Sweetgreen and there's very high throughput. So accuracy can be an issue. So for a long time, we tried to use computer vision in order to do a quality control at the end of the line. It got very close, but never enough never close enough with certain ingredients that it was worth rolling out. So we're always trying new things. Um, and, and the most recent thing I'm sure we'll talk about is how we've leveraged automation um, as, as kind of the next frontier of technology, because we think that is that is really the, the next frontier for us and I think for a lot of food service in, in how to scale a pro, you know, really best-in-class unit economics and a better customer experience. Just looking at your business holistically, like it's gloriously complex, right? You're handling everything from farming to logistics to food assembly, in-store experiences, customer loyalty. I'd love to just unpack each in turn and get your vision on where they're evolving for the next five years, if that's okay. Yeah. So let's start with supply. Like what does agriculture and food supply look like to you, Johnny, in five years? There's a few things that I do think are really interesting that you're starting to see from a technology perspective. One is around vertical farming. It's something we've seen a, you know, a lot of for over a decade. Um, there's been a lot of people trying to cat do it. There's been some successful companies, some really interesting ones, but I'd say no one's quite cracked it yet at scale with the right cost structure. But I think what's interesting about vertical farming is, you know, as climate change and weather patterns shift, 
there's a lot of extreme events that disrupt supply. So every year we, we have something, you know, remain supply, you have extreme heat, extreme cold, extreme something. And with the beauty of this more controlled environment, you can have a more resilient supply chain and provide local supply to places that may not have that. So it allows you to, you know, a lot of where I've, I think, you know, what I've heard is a lot of the success of these vertical farms has actually been more places like the Middle East, just because they don't have it at all that, you know, they don't, they don't just can't grow there. So the cost does make sense for a lot of people there. Another thing that I think is going to be interesting is how automation AI impact farming. So there's a video that went viral, an automated AI picker and a computer vision. It's going down, you know, going down a farm and seeing what was ripe, what was not, and using automation to pick it. One of the, you know, like restaurants, one of the biggest challenges in, in agriculture is, is the labor supply. Immigration policy we have in the United States, labor is a huge challenge for that industry um, as it is for restaurants. I do think that automation there can be super, super interesting. Some of the beauty of these industrial farms is they're more efficient in so many ways. What if you can apply some of that efficiency to more organic and sustainable farms? Then there's the production and preparation in store of the food to get it onto the customer's plate. How could that be reimagined? Our peak restaurants do over 500 orders an hour. So it's, it's a very high throughput, very high customization. So we always believe there's a real opportunity around automation. Um, we tried to actually build a lot of it ourselves internally. And then we met a group of founders out of MIT who started a company called Spice Kitchen and really loved their, their vision for what they were doing. It was so in line with what Sweetgreen was doing. It was like we had the same vision, the same mission. They were just taking our ethos and automating it. They were mechanical engineers out of MIT. And so they opened two restaurants and realized that their superpower was automation. Our superpower was brand marketing, food and storytelling and like running a restaurant company. And there, there was a marriage there that could really make sense. And so about a year, almost two years ago, uh, we joined forces that we acquired the company and we began the development of what we call the infinite kitchen for Sweetgreen. And just about two months ago, we opened our first automated restaurant in Chicago and Congrats. thank you. And we're, we're very excited about it. It's very early. It's an early pilot. You know, the, the results have been, you know, quite honestly, surprisingly good. We're super excited. Part of the bet is that it's going to create better unit economics and increase our, the margin of our restaurants. But for us, that wasn't good enough. What really was going to make this work was that it had to be a better experience for our customers and our team members. And I think that's what we're pleased about. Again, we took a first principles approach. It didn't say like, hey, how do you take the sweet green today and plop automation in? We said, okay, now you have automation. How would you rethink this experience? And so we rethought the total sweet green experience, um, including how you order, the journey, et cetera, what you know, the theater is, and how we can find the right balance of human experience with technology in a way that that still feels very human and real. And so we're going to learn a ton. We're going to open a second one later. But I do believe over time, in the next few years, more and more of our stores will be automated. And eventually, like, you know, I do believe all of our all of our new restaurants, and, and I do believe much, you'll see much more of this in the industry, will be automated. Fascinating. And when I think about that and the food production space, I start to think about the notion of cloud kitchens and that other big trend in the industry. Do you start to see an interplay there? What are your thoughts on Cloud Kitchen and that model more broadly? We were early movers on Cloud Kitchens. You know, we thought given the fact that so much of our volume is digital, it made a lot of sense for us. Unfortunately, Cloud Kitchen or Ghost Kitchen model did not work for us. Um, and I don't think it works for a lot of companies. And I think that the challenge is, is 
when you have, you know, what you're getting in a ghost kitchen is you have less rent, but your rent factor for a restaurant is called it somewhere between five and 10%. So if you're able to get that, let's say lower, let's say half. So let's say you save four points. What you're losing is half of your volume is at least is restaurant level in-store volume. And on the delivery volume, you're paying high fees through marketplaces and delivery fees. So it can be lower margin revenue. And the other thing about restaurants typically, or at least for us, is they're a heavy fixed cost business from a labor perspective. So like whether no matter if I'm doing 100 bowls a day or 300 bowls a day, like there's a base amount of labor you need to prep, you know, just to prep the food. And so what we found is the model did not make sense. And it made much more sense to have we call like an omni-channel store, you know, a store that has, you know, I, I, what I like to say is we have a ghost kitchen in every single restaurant. In every single restaurant we have, we have a front line and in the back there is a ghost kitchen and we have restaurants. You go to some of our New York restaurants, you go downstairs in the basement or upstairs if we have a second floor, we may have four make lines, each pumping out 200 bowls an hour, but it's connected to that restaurant. So we found economies of scale of connecting it and integrating this, this omni-channel model versus just the ghost kitchen. I think the good thing about a, a ghost kitchen is it's an easy on-ramp to test the concept. So if you're like an entrepreneur and you have an idea and you have zero capital, you can kind of start with very little capital in a ghost kitchen and get some product market fit, get it working. I mean, it's almost like when if you look at the DTC space in the United States, at least you look at like, let's say Warby Parker. The reason Warby Parker is successful is because they took DTC and they built 200 retail stores down. My bet is that any successful, and I've already seen this ghost kitchen concept, if they're successful, they will immediately move over and build traditional restaurants. So it's kind of more as like an on-ramp to a tradi- you know, traditional omni-channel restaurant than I think a standalone. Let's talk about the consumer experience for a moment. You are going more mass market as you open more and more storefronts, but Sweetgreen's origins was around that urban millennial consumer. And there's a cohort of them that are passionate about personal health. They're tracking their health with Apple Watches, Fitbits. I see you're wearing an aura ring, Johnny. Will we be seeing increasing personalization and feedback loops at Sweetgreen restaurants in the future using these kinds of products? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're talking about a topic I'm really passionate about. Um, I, I think is at least for myself and a subset of customers, I think something very, very interesting, which is like this this quantified self, quantified health, and how food can plug into that. Like you said, there's so many things, whether it be an aura ring or, you know, continuous glucose monitoring through something like levels. There's people who are testing their stool and doing DNA testing. And there's all kinds of ways people are learning more and more about themselves. And I've always envisioned sweet green, you know, with this concept that we call like the Spotify of food. How can sweet green personalize and create relevance to each consumer based off of their taste, their health, their goals, etc. We're dipping our toe into some of this personalization. We're playing, you know, we're playing with different ways to personalize menus and experiences to people. I do think if the consumer does really get there, I think Sweetgreen is really well positioned given the way our menu is set up. You know, we have 60 or so discrete ingredients with, you know, that can kind of make so, you know, millions of different combinations. And we can know whether it's more of a taste profile, like cilantro tastes like soap to you, or if it's more of a, hey, you don't digest kale well, or the things around food combining, or you have goals, let's say you're postpartum and you have goals, you know, in, in postpartum or you're training for a marathon. So there's a lot of ways to play this, but all to say, you know, I think personalization, how we leverage data 
and use our menu to be more relevant to each individual user is, is huge. You know, the, the vision is, you know, you, one day you really open the sweeper and, you know, you open the sweeper and app and it really becomes more of like a personal chef and nutritionist is created for you and shows up. Another big trend and sort of led by the consumer is around sustainability and you're trying to grow your physical footprint of stores. Um, you already have a very large location base. How are you thinking about energy sustainability, waste management, recycling, all those different elements? It's been part of our ethos from the beginning. You know, when we started in 2007, I remember we were like, we want to use reclaimed materials. We want to have comp you know, composting in our stores, renewable energy, compostable packaging. I can't tell you how hard figuring those things out were then. As finding compostable packaging in 2007 was it was just near impossible. Today, it's become, I don't want to say a standard, but it's becoming much more the standard, as is composting. You even have cities that, that force you to compost. So it's nice to see these things coming into the mainstream and consumers care about those things. So we're excited about that and kind of leading the charge. A couple of things I'm excited about, first and foremost, is I think measurement is super important. We were an early partner with a company called Watershed, as an example. Um, and Watershed's really focused on helping companies understand their carbon footprint. And with us, we went, you know, as, as one of their first customers, we went very deep down, down to the farmer level and understanding their practices and how that impacts our carbon footprint. So I think it always starts with like, the, let's measure first before we attack and get a standard way of measuring. And so I don't think we're there yet, but I think if we could all agree on a standard way of measuring the externalities we're creating, we can then have real conversations about how to attack it and, and, and where we go there. Um, you're also seeing a couple other interesting things. For us, regenerative farming and how we can partner with more regenerative farms uh, is, is one thing. Two is material science around a lot of packaging and things as we get smarter around different material science. Um, a third and interesting, maybe a fun one for this group is around actual logistics a lot of our food is delivered and there's there's obviously a carbon footprint to delivery we've partnered with a company called zipline we're again one of the one of the launch partners there we're going to be piloting drone delivery and so we'll be one of the first i think we're the first restaurant on the planet partnering with them how did you have to ready sweet green to test something like that like what was the choices around location and which was the best market for that and how did you set yourself up on your end to be able to accept drone deliveries Keller reached out to me, uh, the founder CEO of Zipline, who's a big fan of Sweetgreen and kind of thought as a launch partner, it was almost like the perfect partner given what, you know, so much of their mission. And, and he was a big, uh, an avid customer. And so we got to know each other and, you know, I went, went and saw their, went and saw their HQ and what they built I was incredibly impressed. Cause usually when you think about this, you still think it's kind of vaporware and many years away, but it was, I was impressed to see how far along it is and how real it is. Currently picking where to do it, as you'd expect, the places where we'll start will be much more like suburban type places. It's actually very simple the way they've designed it, where you just really have to create a, like a, like an opening, like a hatch inside of the restaurant and have it just an easy way for the team to put the bag inside of the hatch and it kind of goes inside the drone and the rest takes care of itself. And so we're going to test one you know, next six to 12 months. I hope we see positive results, both in terms from a customer perspective and from a financial perspective. I hope over time, more and more people are able to receive their bowl by drone. We're coming up on time. And Johnny, just to end on a slightly different note, 
you're in your 30s and a CEO of a public company that you founded, an incredible achievement. And a lot of the culture that you've instilled into Sweet Green is around this notion of the sweet life. And it feels very authentically born from your own life. I'd love just to know what is the notion of the sweet life and how is it wrapped around what you do on a daily basis? The three majors around health for me, you know, anything for really for anyone, you know, nutrition, food, and exercise. And so I really try to take care of those three things on a daily basis. So I try to move every day. I try to eat healthy. Most of the time, there's obviously times where we need that fun, indulgent meal out. Um, and I really, and I, and I do try to prioritize sleep the best I can for someone with two kids under three. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so those are, the, the, you know, that's kind of the foundation. Um, a few other things that really help me. One is uh, my meditation practice, which is really, you know, I think really great for me. I find the power of walking to be incredible, whether it's a walking meeting, walking alone, walk in just to clear my head, but just the power of walking. And so I do my best to try to kind of live that. It's never going to be perfectly balanced. Try to create rhythms and rituals and routines where I get to work hard, I get to recover, I get to have some, you know, laughter, joy and fun, do something I love and care about that hopefully has a positive impact on the world. Could all enjoy living the sweet life a little bit more. Thanks so much. And what a great note to uh, end on. Really enjoyed the conversation, Johnny, and all the insights. And uh, look forward to uh, seeing more of these stores open and and sort of really pioneer the cutting edge of of where the industry is going. So thanks for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much. What an amazing entrepreneur and CEO. I find it remarkable how Johnny repeatedly takes bold bets in new innovation to further the sweet green mission and in doing so, move the entire fast food industry forward as a whole. Even as a public company, Sweet Green does this unafraid with no signs of slowing down. The concept of an automated Sweet Green store that personalizes food to my health profile feels more tangible when you hear it from such a leader. To follow Johnny and the Sweet Green journey, head over to his Twitter profile, at Johnny Nemo, N-E-M-O. If you're launching a software startup in this industry, reach out as we'd love to hear about it. You can email me on danieldarling at focal.vc. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and please subscribe to the podcast to listen to more coming down the pipe. Until next time, thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day.